0: We have a a communist takeover of education in America, and it started with um, the universities, and now it's been very fully implemented throughout K through 12. Now, I live in one of the most conservative areas of the whole country in southern Utah, and even where I live, most of the teachers and the, the administrators are really great people. Most of them are conservative, most of them believe in God, and they're not, they're not bad people at all. But the the architecture there with the curricula that is that the social and emotional learning and now in Utah, we have ethnic studies curricula that will be mandated to be taught K through 12, beginning next year, starting with the upper grades. And I've seen the curriculum, it's 100% Marxist critical race theory. And um, with the, the social and emotional learning curricula that they have, that provides The foundation, it's not the teachers doing it, it's the curriculum that is removing Judeo-Christian ethics as the foundational ideology of the children and inserting woke Marxism. If you've been
1: paying attention, you know the global economy is transforming. The BRICS nations want to see the end of the dollar reserve currency, and many countries are joining their effort. The Western banking system is the most fragile it's been since 2008. The highly respected Weiss Research Group accurately provided advance warning on which banks are going to fail with 99.3% accuracy after the 2008 crisis. They are now predicting that a whopping 4,243 banks are vulnerable to failure and 1,210 of those banks face imminent failure. When this situation comes to pass, it will dwarf the 2008 banking crisis. The only asset that has historically weathered a storm this severe has been precious metals. It has never been a better time to buy gold and silver to protect your family. Contact Miles Franklin at info at Tell them Sarah sent me and you will get the best service and the best prices on gold and silver in the country. That is a guarantee from them to me. Remember info at milesfranklin.com. Tell them Sarah sent me. Do this now to protect your assets and the ones you love. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. I have Julie Beeling joining the program. She has a new book, Beneath Sheep's Clothing, and also a documentary that's coming out. It'll be available on, the premiere is one so January 11th, but then it'll be available across the board online on the 19th. But her movie is, and her book, is about the rise of communism and Marxism in the United States, and but she's paralleling it to her deep study in the Soviet Union. She has a master's degree in in this area, and she's been working on this for decades. And it eventually took the form of this book that she wrote. And I I think you're going to learn a lot about the parallels of what we're seeing today. And, you know, the money changers, the bankers at the top aren't communists, they're technocrats dictators, they're different, but they're the ones funding and putting this into place. And she's going to talk about that and the horrors that happened in the Soviet Union. We, you know, some of the horrors that happened in China. We talk about China too, although her book is mostly about the Soviet Union. She does talk about some other countries like North Korea, Cuba, and China. But I think you're going to get a lot out of it. We talk about you know, I'll just I always take things in a different direction. So hopefully, you learned something in this interview or this discussion. And before we get into that, I want to talk about this lawsuit. I think people now know I was added to the Supreme Court as a whistleblower and a person of interest in the Missouri versus Biden. That's the censorship lawsuit that's going to the Supreme Court. We're looking to add other people to that, so I want you to reach out to me. You can get to me at sarahwestell.com under the contact form, but we're really looking some, for some volunteers to help add people to this case. The last case I did, we couldn't add anyone. We had so many people that wanted to be added. And so now we can. And the other thing is I promised people that I would not give up. People donated money. Thank you so much for all the donations for our lawsuit and everything else that you did. And I promised you that I would not give up. We were gonna go to the Supreme Court. So even though that lawsuit went sideways, we are still getting the Supreme Court in other ways. I just, it was one of those goals. I told people I was gonna do it and it's happening and maybe God's hand in this, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen, but this is a law fair. It's getting a lot of people who are injured, which is probably like millions of people, but people with some platforms or who feel that they have a reason to be added to lawsuit. And it's giving people a voice, and it's Lawfare law fair saying, we are all united on this. We are all united from because we're working with the Federation of Indigenous People and Federation of Indigenous Nations and the Hawaiian Nation and independent and conservative podcasters. And it's just a wide group of people all coming together and saying, no, censorship is... A tenant of society, of a basic civilized society. And anybody that wants to implement censorship at a mass level is all about control and tyranny because the most important issues of our time need to get flushed out and debated, and they would rather just shut you down. That's tyrannical dictator behavior. Yeah, there's some things that, you know, uh, that uh, YouTube is taking on down or Facebook that maybe. You know, if you're doing some bad things against children, you should be taken down. Or if you're doing some blatant things, but maybe there's some other for the illegal activities. Yes, it's illegal. Take it down. We've already deemed that these activities are bad. So use that as a way to go after people. But for other things where we should be able to debate, it's like you're just a tyrant. And anybody that can't see that is brainwashed or, I mean, Martin Luther King, Jesus Gandhi um, list every thought leader through history that we view as the great ones of our of humanity and they all believe in free speech it's like so how did suddenly Debbie Wasserman or someone like her or it's above her she's more of a puppet how did they suddenly have more wisdom than the greatest teachers of all time they don't and so we are going to keep fighting it and we're going to go and go and go. So if you are someone that wants to join, please contact me. Please contact me if you are a somebody who would be willing to volunteer because those volunteers are the ones that need to go through all these contacts. Because I don't know how many people we're going to get. If we only get a handful, then I can handle it. If we get... thousands i I just i can't i just can't handle i can barely get through my email as it is so that's why we're looking for help and you would be doing a service to this country and to everyone your community your children the future of this country so that's what we're doing before i get into that i want to talk about the freedom buying club and this is a great opportunity for you if you want to buy things that are made in the united states and the people who are selling this and helping you are all benefit from this. I first got involved from Cory Lynn, the great journalist, Cory Lynn, and she benefits from it. I love it that I'm helping others in the process of helping to fund the show. And you will benefit knowing that everything's made in the United States. The products are clean. You don't have to worry about getting all of your household Goods that are, for the price, these are great prices for clean products. Also, the meat we have age twenty-one day aged meat. I get a regular package on every. Actually, I do it every two months. I get a package and we go through it. It's just it's just amazing quality. It tastes amazing, clean, grass fed, pasture raised, no antibiotics, no uh, vaccines ever, and it's aged twenty-one days. It's amazing. Free shipping good, better price than any other state company out there, meat company out there for what you're getting. Okay. You can go to freedombuyingclub.com. Look for that. And let's get into this really engaging and informative conversation with Julie Beeling. Yep. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the program.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: I have heard such great things about what you're doing, you have a book called "In Sheep's, Behind Sheep's Clothing and Beneath. Also, Beneath Sheep's Clothing and then you mm-hmm. also have a movie that's coming out, what, on the 11th of January? Yes. Uh, on your book. Can you talk about Well, we want to talk at high level what your book's about, and then I want to dive into your background. There's so many fascinating things about you and what you learned when you were in Russia and doing your graduate studies and writing the book and everything else. But can you talk at a high level what this is, what your book and the movie is all about?
0: Yeah, in a nutshell, um, it's looking at the communist takeover of culture in the Soviet Union and parallels in America, and specifically highlighting education and the the church, and what that looked like in the Soviet Union historically, and then the parallels in America that I was very disturbed to discover um, a few years after. So, it, this all stemmed from my master's thesis that I wrote. On underground christian movements in the soviet union this was after i had lived in russia as a missionary for a year and a half in the late 90s so i came back got a dual masters in russian language and literature and russian and east european studies and then i wrote my thesis on underground christian movements in the soviet union their survival tactics and the tactics of the soviet state to dismantle christianity and it was a few years later that i began seeing those same soviet tactics happening in america so that's when i wrote most of my book was between 2009 and 2011 but I finally published my book finished it and published it in 2022 Documentary's out later this month so that is so cool so
1: you published the book people reached out to you and said hey we need to turn this into a documentary because this is exactly what's happening in our country is that kind of the process
0: yeah yeah you know and there's more to it than that um it was really, you know, it had been 20 years from start to finish from when I first started the research for my thesis, which took me two years to research and write back in between 2002 to 2004. And then it's 20 years later that I'm finally publishing this book. And I go to to click the button. I'm publishing it on Amazon. And I was like, Man, I'm going to sleep really well tonight. This is like 20 years worth of effort. Not that every single moment of those 20 years was sure. on this, but a huge part of my life And then I was like, I'm going to sleep so well tonight. And then I go to bed that night and I was not able to sleep. I was up till four in the morning. And in my mind's eye, I was like seeing things from my book in like a cinematic format. And I felt like I felt like I was being shown that that was the next step. And it was like way beyond my capability personally. So I said a prayer. I was like, Okay, God, if this is what you're showing me you want me to do, you're going to have to send me someone who can do who can work with film like that. And it was a month later that I was contacted by someone who was a documentary filmmaker and said that he saw my book and that he was a documentary filmmaker. Would I be interested in talking with him because it looks like the content in my book would make a great documentary and should be made into a documentary. And that was the genesis of that in summer of twenty twenty two.
1: Well, that's just really fascinating. So you spent a ton of time understanding what actually happened in Russia, but you also tipped, it's mostly about Russia, the Soviet Union, not Russia, the Soviet Union. And then, or I suppose, the, the collapse of Russia and the creation of the Soviet Union, but And then, again, the collapse of the Soviet Union and Russia, you were there as well. But you also bring in China and some other countries as well. Are you seeing parallels of not just Christianity, but anything that interferes with uh, people's ability to... Think independently, separate from the state, because if you look at China, they persecuted the Falun Gong for the same reasons that it looks like the Christians are being persecuted for.
0: Yeah, the communists can't tolerate any religion except communism, which acts like a religion, a cult and no other no other. Ideology is acceptable. So, um, and Christianity, Judaism, you know, whatever the case may be, for sure, the Falun Gong in China, they have to suppress or infiltrate, water down any other ideology um, or religion that they can. And they're, they, I mean, the persecution against Christians, just looking at the Soviet Union, it was, nobody knows the number, somewhere between 12 and 20 million Soviet Christians were imprisoned and persecuted for their faith. And we're talking about the gulag. We're not talking about just a normal prison.
1: It was really painful. Okay. So, and they were trying to stomp it out. They wanted the state to control everything. I mean, it's the same with the Falun gun. I've covered that in China. It, it's not a religion. It's an ideology, but it takes people's um allegiance away from the state, and that's what they don't want. But so what did you find? What were some of the It's kind of a gruesome story, right? What you found and what they did and how they persecuted How did it start in the Soviet Union or in Russia? It happened before the Soviet Union was started. How how did all this start and what did you find?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, before the the Soviet Union was formed, the Russian imperial. State There was a czar and the Russian Orthodox Church. The people of Russia as as one entity in in essence, and the Soviets, of course, they they executed the czar. And all um, right, can you hear me? Okay, I can hear you. I just closed some
1: stuff down in case it was mine that was causing a little bit of this interference. Okay. But keep going.
0: Yeah, so so the Bolsheviks, you know, they they had to, they executed the Tsar Tsar Nicholas II. They they had to decapitate the monarchy and the bourgeois, the people associated with the Tsar, the middle class, anyone with any sort of privilege, um, had to be done away with, executed, put in the Gulag, whatever the case may be. They did the same to the Russian Orthodox clergy. And they did. The, and they did it. They, to the writers, um, right? They rounded readers. up and executed and imprisoned. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Poets, um, musicians, artists, anyone who was even considered to, to be a minor threat that maybe they would not glorify the Soviet state to the degree that was necessary. Um, yeah, they were on the chopping block as well. And then, of course, Stalin um, enacted his purges of the Communist Party in the 30s and executed like over a million of, of loyal communists. Um, so this is what happens in communist societies is they, 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 it's like this meat grinder. Yeah. And they're purged for just there. If they have any threat that they're
1: not going to be completely loyal to the dictator, even a million communists were killed. Now, what did they do that caused them to be killed?
0: So communists, if you've ever, if you've ever dealt with a narcissist, a malignant narcissist in your life, Um, that's kind of how communists act and anyone that they even imagine might be a threat to their authority. um, If they're the communist dictators, they will put them on the chopping block. Um, We've seen this time and time again. And so Stalin basically purged everyone who could possibly usurp his own power. And, and then beyond that, it was, it was just out of control where they were having quota arrest quotas and they would torture people to get them to get um, falsely confess to the crime of being an enemy of the state and then they would have to turn in the names of people who they knew who were also enemies of the state this is under extreme duress and torture so they would just name off 10 names of people and then the secret police would go and arrest those people and it would just continue on it continued like that for a few years
1: how did people still support the regime knowing that this was a psychosis behind it
0: because they were brainwashed they were, they were brainwashed. And I mean, the, so the Soviets, the Bolsheviks, they got into the schools, you know, and Russia was an agrarian, this had been an agrarian society. It was just the beginning its industrialization. The majority of the populace, 80% plus were peasants, mostly illiterate. So basically the very first schools that were broadly across Russia, or the Soviet Union, was Soviet schools and they were indoctrination centers to indoctrinate the children into Marxist Leninism. So, you know, you had a, a deeply brainwashed society, a terrorized society, and the, those who, you know, didn't believe that the system was legit, you know, if they said something about it, it was at their own peril and they knew it.
1: So you either supported it or you died. And so people, the people who were independent thinkers, they killed. And so all they had left were people who were afraid to stand up or who didn't think on their own.
0: Yeah, there were a few dissidents. There was a, a Soviet dissident movement that took, that got a lot of traction in the 60s. But all of those dissidents, you know, many of them were arrested and put into the Gulag. So they were willing to, you know, be imprisoned for what they believed for human rights, these dissidents.
1: Well, you know, they've come a long way in Russia. I, I have sources in Russia. I know people who live in Russia. And Russia is a different culture today. And how did they overcome this and become who they are today where they have more practicing Christians than we do? They have more freedoms than we do. I mean, I just saw something that 400 and some people were arrested for in Russia for what they posted on on the um, social media. But over 4,000 were arrested in Great Britain for that same, you know, crime. So they like to think that we're the, we're the West and we're free. I don't know how many people have been arrested in the United States. I think we've been more censored and other things. But some of these Western countries, like the Great Britain, they're uh, you can't blame that they're freer than Russia when Russia is doing less against their people than Great Britain is, you know, uh, unbanking people Great and everything bank. else. So what did you see once you saw the fall of the Soviet Union? What did you see?
0: Yeah, so I was there in the late 90s, a few years after the collapse of the Soviet Union. So it was still very much a post-Soviet, post-communist society. I saw a lot of poverty. The average take-home pay per month um, of the average Russian where I was along the Volga region at that time, it was about $30 per month. Um, Of course, expenses were lower at that time. I mean, people, it was, you know, a lot of poverty. I met A lot of elderly, I met several elderly people, I should say, that had been deeply traumatized by the Soviet, what happened with them under the Soviet regime. I've met people whose parents, you know, were arrested during the purge and, you know, they were little children when the time that happened and it was just everyone was in terror. Um, There is a deep trauma that, that this is my personal opinion amongst all the people of the former Soviet Union. There are deep unresolved traumas. And I think part of what's going on now with Russia and Ukraine, there's a lot more to it. But part of it is this unresolved trauma, because basically once, you know, Soviet Union fell, they they kind of just no one really dealt with the traumas of the Soviet experience, the traumas of millions of people, the torture, the imprisonments, the missing family members. They kind of just picked up and moved on with life without dealing with it and um, not the best, but I guess they did what they had to do. Many of you remember Dr.
1: Zelenko, the courageous doctor who saved countless lives using hydroxychloroquine during the pandemic. Dr. Z not only saved lives in the United States, but many countries adopted his protocols and he saved even more lives around the world. Since those early days, him and his team at Z-Stack developed an entire line of immunity-building supplements from Z-Detox to Z-Shield to Z-Night. Now, they also have Kids Z-Stack. It's the same as the Adult Z-Stack, but formulated to protect kids from the onslaught they will see this cold and flu season. What many don't know about Dr. Z was his passion to end child trafficking. Before he passed away, he partnered with Mission Safe Harbor and now a portion of every sale of Kids Z-Stack is donated to help end child trafficking. Now you can protect your kids while also helping to protect kids everywhere by using the link below or go to sarawesselcom under shop. Know you are protecting your entire family while also helping to end child trafficking. Well, yeah, there's a certain point, but they are seeming like we're bypassing them, like we're going down, actually it's probably more like this, they're, they're going this way, we're going down this way, and we've already bypassed them. So you, you say there's a lot of uh, similarities between the rise of communism in Russia and then the Soviet Union, and today in America, and probably the whole Western world. But what are you seeing in this country that gives you a moment of pause, and oh my gosh, we need to do something about this?
0: Yeah, so in my in my thesis, my book and my documentary I focus on culture. Um so as Andrew Breitbart said that that politics is downstream from culture and um the culture of the west had to be subverted very heavily to communism to get us to the place we're at now where things are so obviously bad and that subversion took place in some cases for a century here in America and the west and what I looked at with um what i focused on with my master's thesis was looking at the soviet anti-religious tactics after world war ii because again their early tactics they were just executing priests they were imprisoning them and they were persecuting christians broadly and that led to it it backfired it did not eradicate religion which is what they were hoping it actually bred a lot of underground religious activity so after world war ii in the soviet union they're like okay we're going to stop the wholesale persecution of all christians we are going to continue with our anti-religious propaganda. We are going to persecute only the fringe groups, the cults. And in the case of the Soviet Union, that was Baptists, Pentecostals, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses, they were all considered cults. And then they're like, okay, and then we're going to infiltrate the churches from within. So what they did in the Soviet Union is they sent KGB agents posing as clergy, posing as potential clergy into the seminaries. And then they would become the priests and the clergy of of the churches, especially the the Russian Orthodox Church and the the segment of the Baptist Church that was working with the government, the registered Baptists. And so they were able to go into the churches and water down the doctrines and make sure all the sermons had to be government approved and make sure that the churches would follow the new laws that the Soviets had set, which was putting some serious restrictions. For instance, no children allowed at church until age 18. Wow. various other things. And so these subverted KGB, you know, <laughs> agents that were acting as clergy were making sure that that was implemented. And so between the infiltration of the churches and the heavy continued persecution of just the fringe groups, that really did lead to a decline. Um, but even so, by the time the Soviet Union fell, there were there had been enough people that had, that had maintained faith that had um, preserved their faith, of people of all faiths, that um, there was the huge resurgence. And it was one of the biggest shocks to me when I was a missionary there in 1970, 1997 and 1998, was I probably asked close to a thousand people, just random people on the street, if, if they believed in God. And, and can you guess how many people said no?
1: Well, I read it in your book, so...
0: You did? Okay, yeah, one person. Yeah. <laughs> one person said no, that they were an atheist. Everybody else either said yes, they believed in God, or they weren't sure, but they were open to it. And I just couldn't believe that. 70 years of forced militant communism, atheist communism, and just a few years after that collapse you have not an atheist populace. And now what Putin's done is he's kind of brought back in the Russian nationalism wedded to the Russian Orthodox Church, which is what they had in Imperial Russia. So he's kind of brought that model back, which is seems to be very effective for rallying the people in Russia. Um, so there's not a lot of religious freedom in Russia for um, the quote unquote foreign sects and foreign denominations. But yeah, there's a, been a huge resurgence of faith and the people of Russia, there is there is very is very much a deep-rooted faith there. I met lots of people whose grandmas baptized them in the woods in secret during the Soviet period. Well, what do you think? Do you think the trauma itself
1: makes you more uh, spiritual? Because I think just going through COVID and some of the things we've been hearing, having happening here has actually made people more spiritual. They might not be more religious, but they seem to be more spiritual. So do you think that the history of Russia is what ha- propelled them to be more spiritual today?
0: That's a really good question. Um, I can't say for sure. I mean, I feel like trauma can make some people more spiritual, and other people it can have the opposite effect. I think it just depends. Um it just seems that
1: we're, we're having a little bit of a spiritual revival in this country, not necessarily religious revival, which is different, but people are talking more about God and about love and about peace and, and how to be more spiritual. And I think that's a really good thing. Um, at the same time, we're under attack. So what are you seeing as uh, parallels? What's happening in this country? Because it's obviously we are under uh, an extreme,
0: uh, just
1: it's extreme right now, right?
0: Yeah, it is. Again, so, well, we we have a, a communist takeover of education in America, and it started with um, the universities, and now it's been very fully implemented throughout K through 12. Now, I live in one of the most conservative areas of the whole country in southern utah and even where i live most of the teachers and the, the administrators are really great people most of them are conservative most of them believe in god and they're not, they're not bad people at all but the the architecture there with the curricula that is that the social and emotional learning and now in utah we have ethnic studies curricula that will be mandated to to be taught K-12 through beginning next year, starting with the upper grades. And I've seen the curriculum. It's 100% Marxist critical race theory. And um, with the the social and emotional learning curriculum that they have, that provides the foundation. It's not the teachers doing it, it's the curriculum that is removing Judeo-Christian ethics as the foundational ideology of the children and inserting woke Marxism. And the problem with that is that the fruits of Judeo-Christian ethics, now most people don't, most Nations have not, you know, perfectly implemented them, but it has led, helped lead to the most prosperity and freedom that we've ever seen in the world in Western society. Whereas with Marxism, with the fruits of Marxism are impoverishment, enslavement, and death. It's a little bit different. So we don't want, we should be very alarmed. And, you know, on the outside looking in, just it, on the surface, it looks like normal education. You know, the kids are going to school, they're playing their sports, they're doing their whatever. But there is some serious indoctrination going on there. There are activist teachers probably in just about every school, but it's the curricula that is being pushed down, not just from the federal government, but from the United United Nations and UNESCO for their global, they want a one ideology that they are pushing for all of humanity. And it's a it's a religion of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, unfortunately, those terms are all communist in nature, if you understand what they really mean. So um, that's problematic. Then we have persecution the, of fringe groups here as well. The the problem with these
1: words is uh, to an average person, they sound good, right? Exactly. Diversity sounds great. Um, you know, treating everybody with respect is uh, amazing. It's yeah. that they always have the 180 degree different meaning behind yeah. a good word, right? I mean, well, that's...
0: Yeah. Yeah, when the Bolsheviks were were getting in power in the Soviet Union, they promised peace, land, and bread to the masses. So they always find what is it that the people want, we're going to tell them that's what we're giving them. But in reality, we're just using that to gain power. That's right. So it's centralization of power and a power grab. And in America, in the West, most people hate racism. Most people do it's want... Good. Yes, most people do want all people, including underprivileged people, to have a fair shake at success in yeah. life. Most people do want people of different viewpoints to talk, but that's not what diversity, equity, and inclusion by their definition means. It's the, it's the opposite, unfortunately.
1: It's just you do what we tell you to, and we want diversity and equity as much as possible for our purposes of it, of our agenda. And
0: that's it. That We well, want everybody...
1: Go ahead. To, to
0: be diverse... According to DEI, you have to have woke critical consciousness, which means you see the world through a neo-Marxist viewpoint, oppressed versus oppressor. And the oppressed um, is, they're riled up to tear down the oppressor. So we have the critical race theory construct, the queer and gender theory constructs, and you know everything. It's all about the oppressed and oppressor. And again, there really are groups that have been oppressed. There really but- are, yeah. But the communists, what their solutions are, is not going to help that. It's going to oppress everyone.
1: Yeah, that's it's a blanket oppression. So Patrick Wood is somebody that I've interviewed a number of times. And, and we've talked many times on the phone and, and uh, you know, just so I could learn what this is about. But he talks about technocracy. And, the, and I want to get to the very, very wealthy people, you know, the ones, the money changers, the bankers. And he says that They have to bring in technocracy. Their means of bringing in technocracy is communism. They they believe that Marxist communism is the strategy to bring in technocracy. What have you found um, in relation to that statement? Is is that correct in your opinion? Or I
0: mean, what are you seeing? Um, I would I would agree with that. Like, it's the best system that they found to control the masses and to keep the masses in check. So, you know, to control their minds, to punish the ones that don't comply. You know, in China, they say that China is the model. So it's a communist fascist hybrid. Um, The command economy, Soviet style economy didn't work. That's why the Soviet Union collapsed. One of the main reasons their economy was stagnating. And so with China, they have... Um, you know, they have this fascist system, but so they have business, but then the government is in bed with all the business. Then they have their communist brainwashing, and then they have all the tech, the, you know, the the technology to, to surveil, like, unlike anyone has ever been able to surveil in the world's history.
1: Well, they're already a functioning technocracy, according to Patrick Wood. But there are a lot of people that I, you know, I I read people of all backgrounds and political, because if you're only in a bubble, then you don't learn. Right. And so I learn I try to learn from people who also are very pro China. Right. And it's disturbing, but I got to read it. And some of the stuff that China has done has been really great. So I want you to put this into perspective for people, because when you look at China, they have raised more people out of poverty than you know, probably any country in the amount of time that they did it, you can't say that that's not great. So what what do you say, you know, but they also persecuted the fallen Gong and, and some other things that are and mass organ harvesting and stuff to keep control. But people keep pointing to the fact that the average person's plight or, you know, role in life is much better than it was and much better than in a lot of countries. So what do you say to that and how do we deal with, that positive message and say, well, still, you guys are trying to implement a tyrannical technocracy, and this is the opposite of freedom, and that's not what we, you know, it's not our values. So how do you deal with that?
0: Yeah, so the the Soviets, I mean, they had an illiterate populace largely and they they succeeded at almost almost 100% literacy so that was that was one huge win for for stalin and lenin um, was it worth the you know 40 50 however many millions of deaths at, of people who were killed by their own government i think they could have achieved literacy without the 40 to 50 million deaths if you ask me
1: yeah, I mean, if all you're going to do is beat the crap out of people to create a goal, then ends justify the means at all in all cases. Yeah. So For for everything that they might have a huge win for, there's something else that's really bad. Right. I mean, there's always these pros
0: and cons. Yeah. And well, there's there's ways to lift people out of poverty that don't include the control grid but that China has over their populace. That's right.
1: Well, and we do have an oppressive situation with the central bankers, right, that by just by getting rid of that control probably enables countries to do amazing things, right, even in the midst of incredible oppression. So if we get rid of the oppressive central bankers, but stay at like we did when our founders started this country of freedom and prosperity that we grew this country was grew of I mean, people the middle class the largest middle class are we were amazing when we didn't have the oppressors of the central bankers on our neck
0: yeah i mean yeah i agree with you so we can have both,
1: right? I mean, we don't need, we can get rid of the oppressors, which they're complaining about, but we can also have freedom and dignity for all, right? And raise all ships.
0: Yeah, I mean, that does require individuals to be moral individuals. It requires families to be functional, highly functional. It requires local communities and counties and states. It requires grassroots um, you know, structures to be highly functional and that is the way to to, you know, support the ideal type of society. Which, um, I mean, we've approached that with America. Certainly, we're not a utopia yet, and not looking good at the moment. Oh, it's but... not looking too good right now. <laughs> I mean,
1: <laughs> it's it's not funny, but you got to laugh at some of this stuff because it's really. I mean, it's just incredible. Like we're living in a twilight zone. I don't know how this could possibly, this is some of the stuff that's happening now doesn't seem like it's good for anything. They're just creating chaos and negative everywhere. And so what is the chaos about? Because I know you studied the KGB, how they infiltrated countries, how they took down the country from within. So what is this role of chaos that we're seeing right now?
0: So have you have you seen the interview with um, the KGB defector Yuri Bezmenov? Yeah, and, and I you, have, but and, you might not want to, because the listeners I don't know if they've all seen it. Yeah, I highly recommend that um, interview. This is where this K this KGB agent who defected to the West in the late seventies, and he was trying to warn the West. His job was he was a KGB propagandist in India, and he was implementing the KGB playbook to subvert India to communism. He came to the West and he he, he escaped. Um, Um, he was able to get away from um, the Soviet Union, but no one would listen to him here. And he was trying to warn America. And so in this, this interview with G. Edward Griffin in 1983 or 84, he lays out the four steps to subverting a society to communism. Step one is demoralization that takes at least one generation. And this is where you get into the schools and you teach the kids in the schools to make them like socialism, which is That is actually what the communists call themselves. And the USSR stands for Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. So the Nazis
1: were socialists, too, but keep going. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so you get into the schools and you and you subvert the children and you get into the media and subvert the media and so you're changing the mindsets of the populace. That takes one generation minimum. He, at the time of this interview, Yuri Bezmenov said that we were overfulfilled. They were the communists were overfulfilled with demoralizing the US populace. Wow. So so things have gotten much worse since then obviously. Step 2 is destabilization. And he said it takes between two to five years to destabilize a society. I believe the destabilization phase came in 2020 for us here for the West, well, for the whole world, but this was a destabilization period where our infrastructure was um, under duress, our medical system, our economy, the borders. Yeah, you can just name it all. So three to five years to destabilize a society. It gets a little bit chilling here. The next step is crisis. Um I haven't looked at this in a little bit is it I think it's something like 6 weeks it's can be really short the crisis it's basically the the power grab and then step 4 is normalization the society has fallen to communism you have and the normalization is where you're killing off the dissidents you know executing the possible people who could you know try to stand up to you. And, um, you know, it might not go, I actually have thought about this and I'm like, in some ways we're having all of these at the same time. In some ways. I mean, we've had a crisis. I mean, COVID was kind of a crisis power grab. Yeah. And then we've already kind of had the the crisis, the coup. We already have enemies in charge of our government, in my opinion.
1: Yeah. Cause they weren't
0: elected. They were
1: put into place. It was a coup. So is the current administration communist or are they a hybrid between a, you know a bridge to where they're trying to go
0: probably a bridge but i i don't i you know i'm not the absolute expert on that but you know i do i do feel that the things that we have going for us is the the guns you know how highly Absolutely. armed we are That's the only reason, I I believe, the only reason why we have a semblance of freedom here. Um, And we have masses of good-hearted, normal people who want freedom. And if we can have a mass awakening, like right now, parents need to stop the indoctrination of their kids. Yeah, it's great dropping your kids off at school. I have a nine-year-old myself who I homeschool. It's hard. I completely understand. Homeschool micro schools work together with friends and neighbors. Not everyone is able to homeschool, but we have to pull our children out of the indoctrination centers and protect them and help them to not be subverted to to this ideology. And um, also within the churches, we need to root the Marxist stuff out of our churches. I go into that pretty much in detail in my book and the documentary, what that looks like. And we need to get rid of the wolves and sheep's clothing within our churches and if enough americans have this massive wake up and we're just not doing it we're just not going along with it and there's enough of us then they will not be able to fully implement their plans that's my that's personal right. opinion
1: i don't think they can if we so how infiltrated are our churches same as our institutions
0: same as our schools i mean are they, are they well, all been infiltrated yeah so we had the National Council of Churches, and roughly half of America's uh, Christian denominations belonged to the National Council of Churches. By the mid 20th century, it was very heavily subverted with communism, from the top down. So we had we had um, infiltrators go into the seminaries. We're talking in like the 1930s, <clears throat> 1920s even and get into positions of power within the seminaries to then teach the up and coming clergy and subvert as many of them as possible. And that's the same model as education where you get into the institutions of higher learning and then it trickles down. Um, There's there's more aspects to it as well. In addition with the communist infiltration, there's also undue government influence that on on the churches with the IRS 501c3 yeah. thing silencing they only they don't want to silence any liberal churches i've noticed it just seems to be the conservative churches that are not allowed to have political speech um with covid we had the the NIH go to leaders of of main ch- of large churches and ask them to push the government mandates from the pulpit push masking push the vaccine and if they didn't explicitly tell their flocks to get the COVID jabs, they at least take a picture of themselves getting it and disseminate that picture. And many complied. Um, We need to, this is my personal opinion. We need a decentralization of power within churches, just like we do in government. And we as individuals need to not give our power away to leaders of whatever church we belong to. We need to have our own connection with God and and I the will have spirituality to
1: say this, that I was talking about at the beginning.
0: Yes, one the, the whole reason I wrote my thesis on underground Christian movements in the Soviet Union was to see which features and tactics that the churches used were most associated with success. <clears throat> and what I found that the church that was the most successful, the most um, of the dissident churches in the Soviet Union was the underground Pentecostals. And the reason, I believe, is because they had a very decentralized leadership structure. Mm-hmm. And so when their leaders were arrested or when their church was infiltrated, it didn't matter as much because the members were told that it was up to them to ask God what their role was to build the kingdom of God and for them to just go do it. They didn't have to get anyone else to tell them that was okay to do.
1: Isn't that the whole point of our country was mm-hmm. to, to do that, to push it down yeah. at the lowest level possible, and then that creates an enormous strength. Yes, because you can't take down everything at once. Like they they're slowly getting to that point where they can just control all of us at once. One thing that you mentioned was the dupes. The largest group of people that enable this to happen are the dupes.
0: Yeah. Are we just a country of dupes at this point or what? There's a lot of dupes. Yeah. So I and I've actually expanded my my paradigm since then. I see there's level one dupes and level two dupes. in, in the pyramid of communist enablers. So <clears throat> just to recap, it's like a pyramid of all the people who are enabling the communist agendas. The very top would be the money bags and puppet masters. They are not themselves communists, but they're funding the whole machine. They're technocrats, um, they're yes. ty-
1: tyrant dictators, but anyways,
0: keep going. Yes, next level down, small group avowed communists. We have a very small group of avowed communists in America. Next level down, much bigger, the fellow travelers these are the progressives and leftists that they don't want communism explicitly but they agree with a lot of the of the the platform of the communists and they work together and then the next level is the dupes these are the people that believe um the black lives matter the, these are the good-hearted people that were marching after George Floyd's passing these are the good-hearted people that are like well sure you know yeah if my child wants to say they're the other gender, then then we need to go ahead and transition them. And these are people that mean well, but they've been duped by these agendas. By far, the biggest groups promoting commun- the spread of communism in America are the fellow travelers and the dupes, because and they are not communists. They don't consider themselves communists, but they are carrying the communist torch. Then I will say there are level two dupes. These are people that are not buying they, they, they can smell that something is off with all of this stuff, but they will not speak up about it because they don't want to be canceled. Mm-hmm. They don't mm-hmm. want to lose their job. They don't want to be called a bigot or a homophobe. Those are level two dupes that are also enabling the agenda. And we need there's to make a sure. Lot we're of yeah.
1: There's a lot of the people who are fence sitters. I Someone just called it a fence sitter to me yesterday. And that mm-hmm. God is saying that there's no time to be on the fence right now. And there's too many of them. And that's your level two dupes. Yeah. So, okay, you know, when communism took hold in the Soviet Union, they killed a lot of their ardent believers when they realized when the believers realized that this isn't utopia, you're a dictator, and you're a madman. And so they started killing those. So those are the, would you say those are the insider communists or the second level or, or could be anyone along the lines? In those groups,
0: there's so many groups that were killed. Um, as far as um, Stalin's purges, that was avowed communists because like,
1: they they really believed in this utopia, yeah. and they realized that you're just a dictator and a madman. This isn't the communism that we.
0: No, they were still believers. In fact, from the gulag, there are a, there's account after account of these people that that they just that they sobbed when Stalin died. They still believe they were put in the gulag. Yes. They thought it was just a mistake that they were there. They didn't, they could not, they were so brainwashed that they were still true believers in the communist system. And it was just a mistake that they ended up in the gulag. So
1: what? that makes you feel kind of bad. You know, like, I should be feeling bad about all this, but the Stalin or Lenin never looked at those people as we made a mistake.
0: I mean from what I've read Stalin did realize it was getting out of hand and so he kind of pu- pushed the you know the brakes a little bit on the purges um and then World War II also caused him to make some big changes but uh well, communism- is that the fear I mean is that the fear that you need to instill
1: in people that at any moment they could be taken I mean cuz the true believers the true followers the true they were still under siege, which is quite interesting, it create that creates the fear, I would think, and the trauma across the. That's a dictator, essentially. Yes. Yeah. Totally.
0: Yeah. Again, I see the communists. They they act as narcissists, malignant narcissists. That's right. And um, they they have to maintain their power at all costs.
1: So, what do you say again to the people? You know, because China is the model for these people. It's a functioning technocracy with a communist base. What do you say to people? And I know you said this earlier, but I want to readdress this because there's too many people that are pointing to China as our savior with the BRICS nations, with all these things. What do you say to that? Or, I mean, we can coexist with China and have peaceful trade agreements and do all these things. We, we don't need to be at war with them, but we don't need to follow and be them either.
0: No, I mean, I, I their on, our only solution is a mass awakening of people, of good hearted people, Christians, parents, families, and to, to really see the situation we're in. And it's hard with the media. I even have a sister. My sister thinks I'm insane. And she thinks she's like, all the stuff you've been saying is going to happen. None of it's happened. Everything's fine. What are you talking about? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And they don't want to see t- it. She teaches school. She's a school teacher in California, and she's a good person. And she, she's fallen for, for the propaganda, unfortunately. Um, we need to wake people up. I hope my documentary Beneath Sheep's Clothing will wake people up, some people up, some people probably not. But it, the more people that we can really help to understand these agendas clearly, especially within the schools and the churches where we have control, are we going to send our kids to school or not? Are we going to go to any particular church or not? that's where we have more control. Um, that's crucial for us to understand the Marxist playbook right here. And then we can just withdraw from it and say, we're not doing that. I'm not participating in that.
1: Well, what do you think that in 2014, they used to have uh video as Alex Jones was infam- infamously doing this, where they were showing all the coffins that they were building up. Some people believe that that was if Hillary Clinton would have won the election, that they were w- they were ready to do a mass extermination event back then, what do you think? Was that something that was building and then they pushed back from and they're going to re-engage? Or maybe that wasn't even, I mean, what do you think about that story?
0: I don't have any special knowledge other than having looked at some of that content also. We can't discount it we have, to ha- we have to have it on the table as a possibility that anyone who's going to use the communist playbook to grab power would also use the communist playbook to execute dissidents. We can't count it out.
1: When I was in China in 2019, we were the last people out of China. We were the last tourists. And it was a weird, eclectic group of people. It was a... Um, uh, a trip that I made with other journalists and, and people who had some influence. And it was called a delegation. And we went and talked to people, but half the people were more like me. We were more libertarian or um, independent thinking. And then the other group, or even some conservatives, mostly independent um, and libertarian. And then there was another group that were hardcore communists, right? That was interesting. I spent three weeks with some hardcore communists. I learned a lot. And some of them are pretty popular in the media, right? And we, we did these talk and TOT talk times or something where all of us would talk and give a presentation at a different time during the trip. And one of the people that gave a talk, one of the communists, in his talk, and my kids were there too, so we had some really good deep discussions after this, he talked about the need to get rid of the bourgeoisie, bourgeois, you know, the middle class, or the certain group of people that were impeding their ability the to break. The the yes. people with privilege. He was talking about their, we need to eliminate them. And I was listening to this and my jaw kind of dropped and I, I just, you know, I asked some questions and stuff and then we had some deep conversations with my kids about it. It was kind of a good learning lesson, but these people truly believe that.
0: Yeah, avowed I mean, communists. You know this.
1: I'm just telling avowed, you what you already know.
0: Yeah, avowed communists, the ends justify the means and and situation ethics. Anything, including genocide, can be justified if it's in the name of the opp- helping the oppressed. That's the mindset. And one thing I noticed, too, is that they weren't very nice people.
1: They were very opinionated. They were rude to others. They were rude to people who were um, less privileged than them kind of in a different way, you know, like if somebody, just whatever, anybody that put them out, they were just nasty people, not all of them, but uh, especially the guy that talked and a group of them, there was another one who was a professor at a university. This woman was awful. I mean, she was just a nasty individual. And I noticed, and I don't know if that's true of all, but this narcissism or this this attitude of superiority was a theme in these people.
0: Yeah. I think especially adults. Um, I think with children, you have, you know, it's more not their fault that they were brainwashed. Sure. So yes. the true believer young, super young people that are idealists. But I think the older and more mature a person is, and they're still true believers in communism, there's something off there. They were just they
1: were um so opinionated and so ob- kind of abusive on their own superiority while they were acting like they cared about the the people who were down and out. You know, I mean, it was just such a backwards
0: way of being as a person. Well, that's how Karl Marx apparently was a very nasty person, very did not have very many friends. Um, uh, Lenin and not someone I would want to be friends with Stalin. Yeah. Yeah, there
1: was just there was something else about them, but I appreciate this so much. It's a great conversation. I think I appreciated this even more because of my experience in the past and what I I experienced and. It was a pretty horrifying learning some of this was, I mean, it wasn't horrifying being with them. It was a good learning experience, but some of the stuff I was like, wow, these people really do exist. And this, what you're saying really is true. You know what I mean? You guys, people, this is true. I experienced it myself. So when can people go and watch your um, document? They can get your book now, right? It's on Amazon and elsewhere. Where can they get that? And when is your documentary coming out? And where can I see that?
0: Yeah, so people can go to BeneathSheep'sClothing.movie and watch the trailer for the documentary. There's a link to get the book there. It is on Amazon. And also a link to, we have premieres in um, Phoenix, Arizona on January 11th, St. George, Utah, January 12th, um, Lehigh or Salt Lake City, Utah on January 13th, possibly Miami, Florida on the 19th, but our online premiere will be January 19th. The tickets are available at BeneathSheep'sClothing.movie. Okay,
1: so it'll be available online and in yeah. theaters. You say four not theaters, in theaters. Maybe, but...
0: not in theaters. Not in theaters. These okay, so... live premieres. We have James, Dr. James Lindsay and Trevor Loudon okay, coming yeah. to our live premieres, and we'll be speaking afterwards. And then we'll have a. We also have a backstage um, VIP experience for people who want to hang out with with them and hang out with us, the filmmakers. But um, but yeah, so it's just going to be in these theaters for these like once in Phoenix. Once in St. George, once in Salt Lake City, once in Miami, and then online, unless if we get like, you know, a lot of demand, then we can look into other things. But that's what the current plan is.
1: Okay, well, excellent. So people can buy the book or they can watch it online. Where's the best place to get the book?
0: It's on Amazon. That's the only place to get it. Um, But the link again is at BeneathSheep'sClothing.movie, or you can just go into Amazon and, and do a search for Beneath Sheep's Clothing. Excellent.
1: Thank you so much, Julie. I really appreciate and thank you for everything that
0: you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.